This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so uh, we first of all would like to uh, welcome Torah Anytime to our Tuesday night classes. So, Baruch Hashem, uh, we got uh, lucky enough then the privilege to join uh, Torah Anytime. And I know that all of you are very, very much familiar with Torah Anytime, but I'm going to tell you stuff that you know about Torah Anytime and stuff that you never heard about Torah Anytime. Now, the... Um, when I first heard of Torah Anytime, it was a few years ago, and I saw all their classes, still on the old website, and I saw all the list of all their classes, and I saw how they're constantly updating, and they're constantly putting on new shulim and new shulim, and I, my wife told me this, because I told her, I'm like, I gotta get involved with this. I got to get involved. This is like, this is gold mine. This is a spiritual gold mine right, right over here. So I'm like, I gotta get involved. So you know how there are, there are people that they see an opportunity, you have to capitalize on the opportunity. Right? If let's say you see a good business investment, you want to jump in it before anybody else jumps in it. Right? And I, and I saw this, I saw this as a tremendous spiritual investment. And I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, I gotta get involved. And it took me a lot, you know, it took, it took some time until, you know, I got a hold of them and then that, that, that. But both of I've been involved with them for a few years now. A few years. And, um, I always wondered, I told my wife, I'm like, how did they get the schut? How did they get the merit to do, this is huge. This is, by the way, this is the biggest yeshiva in the world. How did they get to have a merit to start an organization like that and to blow up like that? You have to have schut. And I always wonder, I'm like, why, how did they get that? How did they get that? The first conversation that I had with them was about maybe a half hour or so, uh, a few years ago and over the phone. And as I got closer to the end of, of closing the phone call, I told them, I'm not going to mention any names. I told, I told one of the people that are in charge and I, I told them and I said, listen, I always wondered, I'm like, how you got the merit? How did you get the schut to start this amazing organization? And the way that I spoke to you for the past 30 minutes, I know 100% of a reason why that God gave you the opportunity to do that. These people are 100% L'Shem Shemayim. Everything that they do is only for, only for, all the classes are free. Everything is for the people, you know, for God, for the people. It's, it's an amazing opportunity and they are the nicest people that you can meet. They are so genuine, sweet, and pure. The, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I wanted to be involved with them, right? So I, whatever. So I was doing a few things for them, uh, you know, over the course of the years. And, uh, you, when you think about it, the, first of all, the, anybody can get involved with this. Anybody can get involved just by going and sending a link out of a class from Torah Anytime to somebody else. And somebody goes and is going to click on the link and then he's going to be like, oh, check, look at all these other classes. And they start, and from that, they start and they go into like, you know, hours and hours of learning to law. Who's, who gets the reward? You. You're the broker. You're the one who sent it to them, right? We gave this example before. If let's say you take somebody gambling, right? You take somebody gambling and the guy has never gambled before in your life, right? Not allowed to go gambling. You went, you took him gambling and now he became an addictive personality. He lost all his money, his wife, his kids. He lost throughout his spirituality. Who does he have to thank for? You who, who, who brought him to, to AC, brought him to, to, you know, a lot, you know, Sodom and Amora. You brought him over there. You made him lose all the money. You made him lose his spirituality. Who's going to get punished for that? You for introducing them to that, right? It's called the difference of zikuya rabim. It's somebody who gives merit to the to the public, as opposed to machtiyat rabim, giving people, uh, you know, helping people sin, right? Either way, it's a lose lose situation. Because even if you win money, it's still not it's not pure money. It's not it's not it's not good money. It's not blessed money. So the idea is is that you could accomplish so much. You could go. You know, after 120, you live the regular Jewish, you know, kosher Jewish life. You get up to heaven and they tell you, you know, very nice, you did this. And uh, you get all this, your your um, judgment day. And then suddenly, right before they close the case, they bring this huge, huge wagon full of like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hours of Torah learning. And you're like, what? I never learned all this stuff. And you, they bring you millions and millions of hours of learning Torah. And you're like, who's, this is not mine, whose is it? 
And they're like, no, 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 you send it to 14 different people, and because of that, they all started learning, all their reward goes to you, right? People are fooled. The people that don't go and spread it out are, like, are somebody who has a winning lottery ticket, and he takes the lottery ticket, and he puts it in his wallet and forgets about it. You know, the law is, New York uh, State, I believe, you have until one year to, to cash it out. If you come one year, one day, it's no good. Imagine you pick it out of one year and one day, you see you won the $450 million. What are you going to do? Be happy if you made it to the end of the week without killing yourself, right? People have such an opportunity right now. It's so easy to make endless reward. Just pass out the shiotoa. You don't want to pass it. You could donate to the, to the, to the thing also. You're, you become a partner with them. And you'll have unlimited amount. But, which, which, you know, let me give you some statistics about, uh, um, about it. They have, on the average right now, on the average month, there's about 500,000 hours of Torah being learned. 500,000 hours on one website. They have over 27,000 shiurim, lectures, right? You cannot get bored. You could, you could sit there from now until you're 120, right? And start listening for 24 hours straight. You'll still have stuff to listen because it's constantly getting updated. Over 120 countries come and visit them, right? They have, uh, they have uh, over, you know, they have about over 400 different speakers, right? And there are more, but like, I'll just keep it, you know, very, over 400 different speakers that speak about various different topics. So you can always find out who do you like and who do you, uh, you know, who do you prefer to, to listen to? They had, you know, like, like on, on like a very busy day, they could get over to close to 100,000 views, uh, like the people that are coming in there. You know what that is? You know, this is going to blow up. Over the next few years, this is going to blow up. This is going to be the biggest yeshiva in the world. It is the biggest yeshiva. It's going to get even bigger. It says you want to be a part of that. You want to get as in on that. I'm telling you right now, there's a secret gold mine. I'm giving you inside stock trading to the spiritual world. Right? Make sure invest. Make sure invest. It's nothing. All you do is got to send a link. Check out this. Uh, ch- send out the app. Here's here's a, here's an app. Downloaded it. It's amazing. It'll change people's lives. Okay, so that was uh, just an introduction, right? We didn't even, by the way, scrap anything about it. It's an amazing organization, and, and you can do whatever you can to get involved with them, and you should. Okay, so now let's go on to the topic for today. The topic today is call it what you want, success, happiness. Um, you know, we're, we're going to try to cover as much as we can on this, and we'll see how much time with the time that we have today. So now, there is a, a very interesting um, thing that I heard from Rabbi... Yehoshua, now Rabbeinu, and I heard it from, from um, and I forgot his last name, I heard it from, from, from a, a rabbi who gives a little small little class, and it'll come to me soon and I'll tell you, I usually like to give the sources, but in any case, I heard it from, he's, there, there was a question asked to a rabbi, and he said, what is the most powerful verse in the Torah? Right? So the second that you hear that, you're like, what do you mean everything? The Torah is holy in each, in each uh, thing. But he said very particular, what is, if you could pick out one verse in the Torah, what is the most powerful verse? So the rabbi said, a verse from, ba, from Bamidbar, chapter 14, verse 41. But let me give you an introduction before I tell you that. He said as follows. He said the, the introduction is Moses was, uh, said he's going to send 12 spies into, into Israel. Right? Ten came back with negative uh, um, results, and two came back with positive results. Now they they came and and um, you know they complained, why are you taking us here to die? Why are you doing all that? God, as a punishment, said, okay, you're none of you are going to go to Israel, right? All of you are going to die in the desert. You're going to stay here for forty years, and then the next crop is going to go into Israel. There was a group of people the following morning who thought about it and be like, you know what? Moshe's right. He says, why, why don't we listen to God? He says, you know what? We change our mind. Let's go. We're going to go, and we're going to go into into Israel. We'll, and we'll uh, you know. We're going to take over Israel, we're going to win, we're going to fight, we're going to establish a Jewish, uh, a Jewish land. So they go over to Moses thinking that he's going to praise them, say, listen, we got a thing, let's go. Let's go, we're going to do it, we're going to be successful. And Moshe says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work the way, and this is what he answered. And I'm going to read it to you inside, and then I'm going to translate. Moshe said, 
Why is this that you're transgressing the word of Hashem? You will not be successful. You want to know the most powerful verse in the Torah? If you go against God, you're not going to be successful. You want to be successful, you got to do what God, God wants. Moses says, says, don't go against God. God says, you know, don't go, don't go. Because if you go, you're not going to be successful. Because if you don't listen to God, you're not going to be successful. And you can take that out. You see, anybody that doesn't listen to God, they're not successful in life. Now, that was the end of the Torah. And then now, people ask, what do you mean? I see many people don't keep Shabbat. Many people that don't eat kosher. And they're having, a, you know, success throughout their entire life. So now we're going we're gonna, to um, break that into... I'm going to answer that question in, two, in a two-part answer. Number one is... God doesn't punish instantly. Which means is, if somebody would light a cigarette, and the second that he lights a cigarette, he blows up, right, on Shabbat, I'm talking about, right? He lights up a cigarette, he blows up on Shabbat, right? And then he goes and he's going to take out his phone, he's going to text somebody, and his friend is texting somebody, and second he gets electrocuted from the, from the phone. And, you know, somebody's looking and saying, oh, that's weird. You know, another guy goes, takes another cigarette, and says, well, that's crazy, what just happened? Lights a cigarette, again, he blows up. So people start correlating, point to the two of the dots together. They realize that every time someone's mechalal Shabbat, they get instant death. That's it. So, how are, are people going to keep Shabbat? The non-Jews are going to keep Shabbat. They're going to be like this. Be like, hey, you want to go for a walk? Uh, I might carry something. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not taking any risk. Everyone's like this, right? There's not going to be any free will. If God would punish instantly, which means is if God, if you did a sin and God would punish instantly, there would be no free will. Now, so that being said, God is merciful. God says, okay, I'll wait. You're sinning. You're sinning. I'm giving you. I'm giving you air. I'm giving you money. I'm giving you everything that you need to survive. And you're using it against me. Let's wait and see what happens. And He gives you time. He says you have time to do Shabbat. Until there's no more time. <laughs> and then that's it. The game is over. And, uh, which people think that they have more time than they really do. But God doesn't punish. Number one part of the answer, God doesn't. Look at this person that's successful. Look, follow him through life. See how successful he's going to be throughout life. Right now you see successful. Go look at through life and see how successful he is. That's part one of the answer. Part two is, I'm going to ask you all this, and I guarantee you everybody's going to say the exact same thing. When I say, oh, look at that person, he's very successful, what does it come to everybody's in their mind right now? When I say, well, check out that guy, he's very successful. He's rich. Money. We, unfortunately, equate success to money. Right? When you see somebody, oh, this guy is successful, the second, the, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? The first thing that comes into your mind, money. This guy's got money. That's what success is. Right? Now, let me ask you a question like this. Somebody's made it big. He's a multimillionaire. Right? But his wife cheats on him. His son steals money so he could, uh, from him so that he could use it for drugs. His daughter dresses like a prostitute and comes home in the wee hours of the morning. Is this guy successful? He's by far successful, right? Which means is, is that I just proved to you that somebody with money doesn't necessarily mean he's successful. So now, what is defined success? Now, if I ask you, what do people want in life? So somebody will say, they want money. Other people will say they want a relationship. Other people will say they want to have children. They want uh, the vacations. They want all, all these things. But that's basic level, right? Now, if I, let's go a step higher, higher up. higher up. Why do they want that? Why does a person want money? Because he thinks he's going to be able to buy stuff with it. And why does he want to buy stuff? Because it's going to make him happy. Everybody wants certain things in life. Why? It all points to one final step. And that final step is happiness. He says, you know why I want to get married? Because I think I'll be happier that way. You want to know why I'll have kids? Because I think I'll be happier that way. You want to know why I want to make, have, make money? Because I'm going to be happy that way. So everything points to one, 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 the top of the thing. What everybody wants in life is happiness. Anybody disagree? No. Okay, good. So so now the the, the idea is is that... If happiness is what everybody strives for, how, let's see how successful people are in this world in happiness. So, I'm going to go through a few statistics, but before that, uh, if somebody is not happy, if someone's depressed, people think, okay, so if someone's depressed, okay, so that's his emotions, right? But emotions go in an effect, physiological, you know, effect on the body. It makes a difference. If someone's stressed out, he has high blood pressure. 
his cholesterol can go up. He could get diabetes. He could get, uh, you know, if someone's depressed, his, his eating habits are, are, you know, all different. His sleep habits are erratic. Everything is in, in the emotional state affects the physical state. Which means is if someone's depressed, it's gonna affect that person's, uh, um, it's gonna affect that person's, the way that he, how healthy he will be. Also, that if someone's depressed or stressed, their immune system goes down. Which means it's easier for them to get an infection. Right? So it, it pays for people to be happy. Let's just start off with that. And there was one time a uh, psychology professor who walked into a classroom, first day of class, and she comes, she comes in and she holds up a half a cup. Imagine this is half, right? Uh, this is a half a glass of, of liquid filled up. And, you know, so what happens when you're in a student and you see a teacher in psychology walks in with this? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Glass half full or glass half empty, right? I say, you know, so, so uh, um, the, that's what the students are waiting to, to hear the teacher say, but the teacher doesn't say that. The teacher says, how heavy is this? So, you know, yeah, all the students, so they're doing the mathematic major, so they picture, okay, so it's six ounces and a half of it, so it's a three ounces, and they transfer, and they start writing calculations down, transfer the, you know, the volume to the weight, and they start throwing out numbers. And they're saying, you know, this one is this amount of ounces, and this one is a half a pound, whatever, however much they, they give her in weight. And, uh, and then she says, after everyone gave out answers, she, did, she then she says, I didn't say how heavy it was. I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't say how much it weighed, I asked you how heavy it was. And how heavy it was, it depends how long I hold it. If I hold it for two minutes, not heavy at all. If I hold it for five minutes, eh, I could do it. If I hold it for a half hour, now it's getting a little annoying. It's a little, a little tougher. If I hold it for two hours, now it's kind of starting to get heavy. If I hold it for four hours, I can barely hold it up anymore. I got to put it down. So the weight, the heaviness of it, it all depends on how long you hold it. There are many people in life that have a lot of stress, a lot of depression, a lot of things that, that happen in, the, in their life, right? How long do they hold on to that? There are many people, one bad thing happens, the whole week is ruined. Right? Because they hold on to that thing for the whole week and that's it. That's gonna weigh you down, you're not gonna be able to be happy. You get, you, things, bad things happen, you're not able to push it away, you hold it for a few minutes and you put it down. And move on with your life. Otherwise it's gonna get too heavy, it's gonna bottle you down. So, the, um, this also, you know, which we'll speak about, the number one thing is, is a, a lack of imuna, a lack of faith in God when bad things happen, which we're gonna, we're gonna speak about. But before we get to that, there's something very interesting, which I'm sure you all heard of. You know what a hypochondria is? Somebody who's hypochondria is somebody who, if um, he sees or she sees anything bad in the news, they or whatever it is in, in a medical thing, they're like, I knew it, I had that, right? It could be one in seven billion people, right? Which means there's one person in the entire world could have this disease, and they'll say, you know, did you have like this weird, uh, rare disease of having nausea and vomiting while itching of the left ear and scratching of the back at the same time? And they're like, yes, I did. I knew that I had something that's un- uncurable, right? Everything they do, they, not only that, they'll go into the doctor and they say that they come well prepared. And they'll be like, listen doctor, I have high blood pressure and I need this medication. The doctor checks, his, he's like, your, your blood pressure is fine, you don't need anything. And so what do they do? They go to another doctor, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right, they go to another doctor and say, listen doc, I know what I need, this is the problem, right? These people do not live happy lives. Every, two, every, other, every other second they read something else and they think that they have that. They go, they go through WebMD and they have every disease that they have on, on WebMD. Right? Cesar Blazer Papo in Chazid Lalafim. He said that there's many times that people bring disaster upon themselves. They think always negative. They think that always bad things are going to happen to them. And they cause, they themselves are the one that cause the bad things to happen for always thinking this negativity. So, I did a research and I wanted to see what is the, so the, uh, what I was trying to do is to see what is the most, most prescribed drug in America. Right? And, in, in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. So, I did a few uh, research, and I couldn't find it with anything yeah, particular. And then I did what my research, which which you know, which I finalized with, was what is the highest prescribed drug by classification. So to explain that, there is let's say high blood pressure medications, but there's not just one. 
There could be 50 of them. There's antidepressant medications, but there's not one. There's, you know, hundreds of them. You know, there's so many. There's pain, pain medications. There's so many pain medications. Right? So I did it by classification. High blood pressure, diabetes, um, you know, high cholesterol, depression, anxiety, all these different classifications. The number one. The number one in America, I believe it was in America, I think this was done, and the study was done in 2010, was with 255 million prescriptions, number one came in high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia. High cholesterol, people that have high cholesterol is the number one selling uh, classification of drugs in America, right, high cholesterol. Number two was depression. By how much it was off? 253 million prescriptions. It was off by 2 million for competing for number one, Right? Which means is, and by the way, it doesn't mean that 253 million people have depression, but it rather it means is, is that it's by classification of drug, which means that somebody can be prescribed more than one drug of the same classification. So you have to take that into account. So the, the thing that bears in mind now is if the main thing that people go in life is happiness, then why is it that everybody's depressed? Why is it that everybody's down? We're doing something wrong. And I'll tell you even more. There's, uh, I'll tell you some research. Dr. Kelly Posner which was an assistant professor in Columbia, Columbia University of the College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City, right? She stated in her research that 25% of adults will have a major depressive episode sometime in their life. 25, 25% means one out of four people will have at some point in their life a major depressive episode. That's very bad news. That doesn't sound like we're doing a good job at being happy. If, it doesn't mean that you'll be depressed throughout your entire life. It'll mean you have one major depressive episode, right? Some people have midlife crisis, whatever it is that, that it plugs into, any, you know, everybody else, everybody in, in uh, themselves. The American Psychological Association ha- said that happiness, right now, it explain, I'll explain it in layman terms. The, um, we're in an electronical age, right? We're in such advanced age that we, that there's so many things that we, that our parents didn't have. Forget about our grandparents, right? You have, Airplanes, you have automobiles, you have uh, smartphones, you have la- you have things that you know you have air conditioning, you have running water and heat, right? You would think with all this advanced technology, we should be a lot more happier. Says Dr. David G. Myers, he says our well, and I'm going to quote: "Our becoming much better over the past four decades has not accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being," which means all this advance. You have a you have a you have a robot that could clean vacuum you with your your house without you doing anything. You just let it, and it's just going to do its its job, right? All this advancement in technology, people are still not happier. Not only that, but the study was that in fact they're less happier than they used to be, right? Is, uh, here's an easy example. You had uh, you know let's say you're talking about your great grandparents. Let's say they wanted to come from Azerbaijan to uh, America. What do they have to do? They have to go on a plane. I forget what a plane. What am I talking about? They have to go on a boat. Right? You have to go in a boat, right? You have to hope that the sailboats or the, the sail is there, the wind is going, and they have the, you know, the, the, the cold and the, whatever the, the technology that they had back then, which was not, you know, so advanced. And they would have to go and they would sit on the boat for weeks, if not months, right? And they would go there with all the diseases, with all the seasickness, with all the waves, with all the storms, everything to get to, to a certain place. Nowadays, you go on an airplane, some people pop a pill, and they wake up in a different country. And why do they complain? Oh, it was a little bumpy. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was a crazy. Oh, this, this pilot didn't know anything. Oh, wow, a half hour delayed. What's going on over here? Half hour. You know what delay means in the olden days? It means a few weeks delayed, right? There was no wind, so you're a few weeks delayed. And we complain about a half an hour. Half an hour, right? Where is so we are lacking in happiness with all our technological advancements. Here's something that um, almost no American citizen knows where it comes from. But uh, no, I'm sorry, no Amer- born American knows. But all the American citizens that come from other countries usually know it is because they study it. 
Where is this from? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness comes to the Declaration of Independence, right? So the obvious question, if you ask anybody who learns Gemara, you know, they're going to say, you see life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're going to ask you right away, okay, hold on a second. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Why? It should be life, liberty, and happiness. Or, if you're saying pursuit, it should be the pursuit of life, pursuit of liberty, pursuit of happiness. What's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? It doesn't make any sense. So, the, the answer is, is that America is all about the pursuing of happiness. It's never the achieving of happiness. If you ever realize, when people say, you know, people ask, let's say, you know, they go, let's start from high school. They go out of high school, what are they, what are you, when are you going to be happy? Come on, what are you, so you know what I'm going to be happy when I get into the college that I want to get to. Right? I think we spoke about this idea before. And then when they get to the college that they want to, they'll say, okay, you know what I'm, now I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy when I graduate from this college. Right? And when they graduate and they get the degree, when are they going to be happy? They're going to be happy when they get a first job. And when they, when then they're going to be happier when they get the second job, because the first job they never liked. And the second job, they say, I'll be happy when I get my third job. And then I'll be happy when I start my business. And then I'll be happier when I, you know, I'll get married. That's when I'm going to be happy. It's always then. I'll be happy then. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when the kids go out of the house. I'll have some peace and quiet. You're never happy now. And the problem is, if you're never happy now, you're never going to be happy. Because if you always push off your happiness, if it's always the pursuit of happiness, it's the never of the achievement of happiness. So now, the idea is, and, and I heard this, uh, this story once from uh, um, uh, Charlie Arari. He, he said an amazing uh, you know, uh, story and idea. There was once uh, a person that had a, you know, had a heart condition and he had a major heart attack. And it was like a li- literally near life uh, you know, death experience. And uh, thank God he recovered. And he recovered, as usual, when people have a near-death experience, they're going to change their life. Which is you know, very much you know, well understood. But what people didn't understand was, and all his friends was like, usually this happens, what happens? People change, and then they slowly revert back to their old ways. They didn't understand that this person, even though that he, you know, had this, this, uh, this crazy life changing experience, it's been a few months and he's been like on a strong high. He's keep on change, he's like a change man. So they went over to him and they asked him, he's like, hey buddy, how, how do you do that? I mean, I know you had this life, but how do you keep it up? So he says, he says, listen, he says, I always wanted to be a better person. He says, when I was, you know, before, before I had this, this, uh, you know, the scare, says, I always wanted to be a better husband. I always wanted to be a better partner. I always wanted to do better in business. I always wanted to be a better father, a better, uh, uh, you know, a better son. I wanted to be, you know, uh, better spiritually. I wanted to be, you know, just a better person in general. But I always said, okay, no, I can't do it now. I'm going to do it then. You know, I have a business meeting now. I'll buy my wife flowers afterwards. And I forgot about that. Then I'll buy it. Uh, you know, I'll do something else. I'll tell my wife I love her then. You know, it's never now because I always there was something else that was coming into, into time. He says, after that heart attack, what he said is, it was he realized, thank you. He realized and he said that, he says, I live now by three letters. And that three letters is N-O-W. I don't live by, you know, I'll do it then. Because I, there might not be a then. There might not be a tomorrow. I want to be a better person. I'm a better person now. I want to be better spiritually. I'm going to be better spiritually today. Not tomorrow. Not this Shabbat. Now. Now I change. Not then. So, he says, that's how I change. That's how I change and I'm continuous changing because I don't push anything off. That's how you want, you want to, you want to be happy. You want to be successful in life. You'll be happy now. You'll be more greater spiritually. You get closer to God now. Don't wait for the magic, uh, you know, potion to come and kick you in and all of a sudden everything is going to go away. You do it now. You don't push it off. Now, there is a, um, you know, there's a very, uh, a famous, uh, saying, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Or something along those lines. You know, there's a very famous question that asks, what is it better to be Miserably, sing, miserably married or single, right? Single everybody's. As long as they're not doing sins, you know, they're miserably single, right? So you have, what is it better? To be, you know, single or ha- married but not happily. So the married people, there's no happily single. <laughs> there's no such thing. So, so if you're not sinning, if you're not sinning, there's no happily single, right? And if, if you are sinning, then that happiness is not going to last, right? So the idea is, 
is is that married people are going to tell you, oh, you know, it's going to be much better to be single. Right? You always have these uh, people to give great advice. You know, oh, you're you're you know you're single. Oh, you enjoy it. You guys could go out. You go out as much as you want. Enjoy Ma- marriage is great. Listen, marriage is great. You know how people always say, you know, like when people when you, you ask them about marriage, you'd be like, you know, it's it's a ama- it's it's work. It's good, it's good, it's good. But it's a lot of work. But it's really, really good. You know, those type of advice, you know, how to, how to, why are people getting married? But the idea is, is that people always see the opposite as better. The single people always see the married people as, as happy. The married people always see the single people as happier. So, there was once a story, a, I guess more like a joke, that there was a, a woman that was married to um, a man for 20 years. And she's sitting, uh, wakes up one time in the middle of the night, and the person's, uh, no one's in the, you know, her husband's not in bed. And she's like, well, it's like four in the morning, where is he? So she gets, she, she puts on a rope, she goes downstairs, and she sees the light on in the kitchen. She goes in the kitchen, and she sees her husband staring at the wall. And, you know, she's like, well, he's like, oh, is everything okay? And she sees, like, a little tear streaking down his uh, cheek. And she tells him, she's like, you know, you know honey, is, is everything okay? And he's sitting there, you know, drinking his uh, hot cup of tea, and he says, you know, he says, remember 20 years ago, you know, when um, your father caught us, and we were, you know, you were 16, and we were dating, and your father pointed a shotgun at me, and he said, you know, either you marry her, or you're going to spend 20 years in jail. And she's like, oh, you know, yeah, I remember that. You know, I was all emotional. Yeah, 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 that was amazing. And wiping away his tear, he's like, you know, I would have gotten out today if I would have went in. <laughs> you know? People always look. This guy would have been rather to sit in prison for 20 years and be married with his wife. Right? People always see the opposite as, as better. People always look at the opposite and say, oh, that, that was a, you know, that's a much better option. People never look at where they are and have the happiness. New York Times once asked Gallup to do a research. Gallup is a is a company that does uh, statistical research and and uh, you know does um, uh, you know different types of of uh, statistical analysis. So they told them New York Times came and told them and they said can, they, uh, came to Gallup and says I want you to find me the most happiest man in the world in America. I'm sorry, the most happiest man in America. So they gave them the, you know, they put a bunch of uh, psychologists uh, together and they says, okay, you know, in order to be happy, you have to be making X amount of money, you have to be this of this ethnicity, you have to be religious, you have to be, and they gave them a criteria of what it requires to be and you have to live in a nice place. So they did this research and they found a person. They found a person. They found a person who lives in Honolulu, Hawaii, and of, of who is the happiest person in the, in the world, in America. So they call, this is, and you can look it up. It was, um, the, first of all, it had to be a man, a man, because men generally tend to be happier than women, according to their, their analysis. It had to be older than middle age. He has to be tall. He has to be, in, and, and listen to this. So listen to who they found. I'll give you the, and I'll give you the, the information well, afterwards. Well, why do they have that particular criteria? It has to be a man, has to be tall. Because they, under this psychological analysis, they realize that this is the happiest one. Because they have, they told this, the, the Gallup, they said, listen, look for this and find this for us. And under, under their criteria, this is the happiest person. So they went and they found a person by the name of Alvin Wong. Alvin Wong was a five foot ten, sixty nine year old Chinese American. Get this, kosher observant Jew, who lives in Honolulu, married with children. He has his own healthcare management business and makes over one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. They call him up on the telephone and they say, "Listen, uh, we just did a research and you came up as the happiest person in the world. Are you happy?" And he was like, uh, "Yeah, I'm pretty happy." Yeah, <laughs> ah, thanks. You know, and then this guy went and became on talk show host all over the place. You know, the happiest. How do you do it? How, how are you so happy? You know, so so the um, the idea is 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 you know. Well, let me explain to you something like this. Rabbi Noach Weinberg, Jewish, Jewish and observant, Asian, Jewish. Go search him. You, you search him on. Uh, you'll see. You'll see it. Uh, or just take my word. Alvin Wong. So, Rabbi Noach Weinberg. He said, you know, he, he's the, the founder of Isha Torah. He said as this, he said that a, um, 
in order, you know, people think that happiness is my own prerogative. I want to not be happy, that's my problem. That person wants to be happy, let him be happy, let him be depressed, doesn't matter. People don't understand that your happiness is not a right, it's an obligation for your friend. Which means, and I'll give you an example. Somebody goes into, uh, um, let's say you take somebody out on a camping trip, right? And you take this one person who's always a complainer. He's like, oh, there's so many flies over here. Oh my God, there's no running shower, there's no water, there's no toilets, there's no this. What, you know, this, the beer is hot, this is hot, there's no fish, you're catching. Always complaining. That type of guy you don't want to take anywhere. That brings everybody else down. So you say, like that type of person, you know, people that are always depressed bring everybody else down. It says, you're not allowed to be depressed for your friends even. Forget about for yourself, for your friends. It says, you're bringing other people down. It says, who said, who gave you that right so that you're able to go and be depressed and bring other people down? You have an obligation to be happy. Not only for yourself, but also for somebody else. There's a Gemara in Ketubot, in Ketubot, page 111b, that says that it's better, Rabbi Yochanan says, that it's a smile gives more to a person than milk. If you give a person a glass of milk, a smile does so much. You get to see somebody, and you give them a smile. Right? It's very hard for people in Northern New York to smile at, at people. Right? Uh, I'm not talking about the opposite gender while you're you know, on, the, on the train or anything like that. That should not be done. But I'm saying if, you're, if, if you see somebody who's down, depressed, or whatever it is, you're walking, look at all that, smile and say, hey, have an amazing day. Have an awesome day. So, the, um, the number one, what is the worst thing that you could tell a person who is um, not happy? Let's say he's depressed, he's down. Right? The worst thing that you could tell them, like, oh, you know, hey buddy, uh, oh, cheer up. And as if, you know, the guy would be like, oh, oh, thank you for ending my depression. Oh, I didn't know, oh, I should cheer up. You know, as if I didn't know, right? So you have to know what to say. You can't just, uh, you know, shoot out something and be like, oh yeah, hey, stop being depressed, right? It's obviously you have to do it in the right way. You have to smile, you have to encourage a person and things like that. So now let's go through a few uh, steps on, on how to, uh, um, on how to uh, be, uh, become a happier person. So the... It was actually interesting. There's something called positive psychology, um, which was, I believe, started by somebody by the name of Martin Seligman. Martin Seligman, he's, he's like, you know, psychology always studies the sick people, right? This person has anxiety. This person has depression. This person has OCD. This person has all these issues, and they study that. If you want to know about happiness, you have to study a happy person. So they have started called, called uh, something called positive uh, psychology. So um, he started, you know, studying, and, and we're going to go through a few things that he uh, that he spoke about regarding on on how to what to become positive, right? Rabbi Mordechai Becher also gives a list of few things which I took also from him. He has a very, you know, uh, a few things that we're going to also use uh, that he presented. So there's something, um, you know, very interesting that there is a there's a pasuk in Isaiah 55, chapter 12. He explains it as follows. He explains it literally. That translation means, "For with joy you shall go forth." Right? This rabbi says, no, 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 you read it a little bit differently. With happiness, you could go out of every problem. Any problem in your life, with happiness, you'll be able to get out of it. Right? Now, if I would say, what is the number one thing that you could do to become a happier person? The number one thing that you could do is emuna, Faith in God. If you have faith in God, that means that if anything bad happens... So you'd be like, okay, you know, obviously it's easier said than done. But if you, everything, everything's from God, then you're okay. Even if the bad thing happens, you're like, okay, it's fine. It's all from God. It's all, it's all, you don't take it personally. Good thing happens. It's all from God. It's a win-win situation on all, uh, on all sides of the coin. Now, the, the other thing is, is, uh, and we'll probably speak a little bit about more about Muna in, uh, I don't know if we'll get to today, but we'll speak about it in uh, a continuation of this topic. The next thing is expressing gratitude. A grateful person is going to be more happier with any product that he uses. I'll give you an example. First of all, there are many people that, um, I know somebody that doesn't smile. Won't smile. He gave him the, in his own child's wedding. I was there, did not smile. Right? Why not smiling? You know what, what, you know, people don't, you know, they, they can't. 
True. It doesn't mean that he's not happy. But uh, smiling does really tell you a little, a little bit. A little bit. Maybe yes, maybe not. Right? So it could be yes, could be not. But, you know, pictures, at least smile for pictures, no? Yeah, at least you show some happiness when your child's getting married. Right? I think they, they have, the shidduch was a good shidduch. Right? Everyone's happy with that. So, but there are certain people, I'll give you, uh, here's another example. Uh, somebody's on a business deal, and they get an amazing, amazing business deal. Right? They'll keep a solid, straight face. You know, I'm not going to pretend that this guy thinks that he's giving me a good deal. You know, thinking that they're the best businessman, and they're, they're going to go, they might feel happiness inside, but they won't express anything outside. Right? They'll go through, and I know a few businessmen, though, they get an amazing deal, they don't, they don't express gratitude. They don't, they're not grateful for what God just threw in their lap, a gold mine. Right? They're not, they're not grateful. You should be grateful that you came to today's class and you heard about all this Torah anytime and how much you could spread it out right now. Right? I gave you a gold mine that you could use. So, there are many people that don't, they're not grateful. The more grateful you are in a product, the more happier you're going to be to use it. Uh, this is a, this is not 100% a great example, but the, the idea is like this. Let's say you take and you buy a product. Um, if you buy this product, let's say the full cost of the price is 20 grand. Whatever it was, expensive uh, product, right? And you paid five grand for it. Yeah, you, let's make it better. Yeah, you paid two grand for it. Are you going to enjoy it more when you pay two thousand dollars for it? Or are you going to enjoy it more if you paid twenty? You, you had a good deal, a good deal. You know, it's it's a you know the way Jews run. You know, that's how we go. That's how we do it, right? If you ever ask somebody, it says, oh, you see something, you know, it's like, oh, how much you pay for that? What is the Jewish answer? It says, how much I pay for it, or how much is it worth? You know, two different things, right? Because everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who does wholesale, right? The idea is, is that if you get a good deal, you're more, you're, you have more expressed gratitude, right? I think everybody got a good deal in life. You're here, right? When was the last time you were grateful that you're here? Now, the... Okay, so, you had a great deal. How do you, how do you, how does he have to be grateful? I'm not talking about anything spiritual. Just be, be happy. You know, you know, uh, you know, enjoy, you smile. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got a great deal. You don't have to post it all over, you know, put an ad out and, hey guys, I got an amazing deal. But, you know, there are many people that are happy. They get a good deal. They're very happy. They're happy. They're satisfied. They, maybe they tell their close friends. The person friend. could be happy inside, not show the emotions because he is, uh, oh, you know, I don't want to spook the guy. Maybe he'll... So, not, that, okay. But to your wife, to your business partner, right. to things like that, that yeah. So, that, they're different people. Obviously, different people. Okay, so yeah, that's, that's fine. But ever, ever, you know, there are people that just don't smile, ever. Ever, you know, there's not, uh, and unless you're some huge rabbi who's sitting and learning all 24 hours a day, you know, who doesn't get, take his eyes off the Gemara, that, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it is incumbent upon us to smile. Yeah, even then, they also smile, but I'm saying by the ideas, they're always learning. So now, there is, uh, um, there's also something very interesting is that it also, if you appreciate something, you have a higher self-esteem. Which means is, how could you help somebody else if you don't appreciate the qualities that you have? In order for you to, to be kind to somebody else, you have to feel like you're worth something, that you have something to give. And that also, in, in, in the same sense, it also increases your self-esteem, right? That's why people that always chase money are stingy, miserly, right? They're not grateful for what they have. They think they don't have enough. So they always need to collect more and more and more, and that's why they can't give it out, because they're not grateful. They don't realize what they have. There was, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, for example, like nowadays, you know, nowadays travel for a regular layman person versus two, three hundred years ago travel for a king who had a better time, who had a better ease of traveling. Nowadays, the person who is on food stamps, section 8, and all the other government programs can get on an air conditioning bus for how much ever they charge now or, or the, you know, go on the train. Air conditioning without any bumps get you from point A to point B fairly quickly, you know, without any, without sitting in a comfortable seat, they have shocks. In olden days, a king wanted to travel to the next town. So he had a bunch of horses, very nice, eh? and he had a wagon, right? The wagons did not have shocks, right? The wagons, if there was a bump in the road, the whole thing would tilt this way and that way. What was the king one? I had an extra cushion, maybe, right? So you're sitting there, a king, many years ago, would travel that. Then you have someone here who rides a bus, 
even a bicycle, even a bicycle, you know, they didn't have that in the olden days. You know, are we grateful for what we have? People are not grateful for, for, for anything that we have in our days. There's also something called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation is that it's an idea that no matter how good we are or wherever we are, you know, how, how much, uh, you know, how happy we are for something to happen, we'll always return to baseline. Which means that they gave an example, uh, a famous cited example is lottery winners. They, um, they stayed through with people that won the lottery. And the, the, I guess the analysis that was done afterwards was that after 18 months, the lottery winners, their happiness returned to baseline. Which means is, let's say they won $50 million. After 18 mil, after, after, I'm sorry, after a year and uh, after 18 months, they came back to where they were before. Not happy anymore. The same level as they were before. Baseline. No, not better, not worse. What is that? That's called hedonic. Here's an easier example. You come out from a hot day. It's a summer right now. You're going out a hot day. You're sweating. And you come into, into your house and you open up the air conditioning full blast. Right? You sit in front of the air conditioner. And you're like, oh, you're drinking cold water. And you're sitting in front of the air conditioner. For two minutes, it's heaven. Right? Oh, it's, uh, you know, you're enjoying all the breeze. Then what happens after two minutes? After two minutes, it's good. It's getting a little cold. You know, it's not, it's not all, you know. And, and after you're sitting there for 10 minutes, now you're ready to come uncomfortable. 15 minutes, you can't already stand in front of it anymore without a blanket. You know, now you're at, what's, what changed? The ear is the same ear that started off in the beginning and started off now. And the answer is, is you adapted. You adapted. You built, brought yourself down to the baseline. And once you brought yourself out, down to the baseline, that's it. You're, you're changed. The idea is that people always, it's called hedonic adaptation. No matter how good something is, they always bring themselves down. Right? And they always go back to their baseline. And so this is a problem that people don't appreciate what they have. I'll give you this amazing story, a little short, short story, then I want to tell you a, a nice story, a longer story. There was once a, um, there was once a, a big rabbi, the name of Rabbi Victor Miller. Rabbi Victor Miller, he um, one day had a student that came into his uh, his home, and you know his wife said he's in the kitchen, so he goes into the kitchen and he sees the rabbi in the kitchen. He's an older rabbi, you know, with a long, nice long gray beard, and he's the sink is filled with water, and his head is under the water, you know. And so the student's looking at it. You know, you don't question, you know, you have a big rabbi, you know, he does, okay, whatever, you know, maybe it's like catalytic, uh, you know, intentions with the water, who knows what he's doing. He goes under the water, he's for like 30 seconds, he's like scared, he's like, you know, rabbi, is everything okay? And suddenly the rabbi get, picks his head up off, off uh, out of the water and takes a deep breath in. So the, so the student says, you know, rabbi, is, is everything okay? So the rabbi says, no, everything is fine. He says, uh, so, you know, can you, would you mind explaining why your head is underwater? So, uh, you know, so he said, he's, uh, he was walking with his colleague, the rabbi said, and his companion complained about the air pollution in the city. They're walking down Ocean Parkway. A lot of cars were complaining about air pollution in the city. And then the rabbi, you know, you know, he was thought, he said, listen, he says, I was concerned that his negativity would damper my appreciation for the great gift of ear. He says, I don't, how will I appreciate ear now? He told me that, uh, so what I did was I put my head under the water. And then when I can't breathe, the first breath you take, you really appreciate air again. <sighs> then you are. Oh, you, you appreciate how much time, you know how, how many people have a hard time breathing? They have asthma, COPD, emphysema, all these, all these heavy smokers also, they have a hard time breathing. When was the last time that you appreciated being able to take a fresh breath of deep air? Of the, you know, in Brooklyn, right? With all the pollution, right? It's still air. It's still amazing. It's still, we don't appreciate this. There's an amazing story that I heard many, many years ago that there was uh, once a prince. And this prince came of age. Uh, he was, uh, you know, that it was time for him to learn about, you know, running a kingdom and, and things like that. The king, the father. So he said, he told uh, his son, and he said, listen, he says he wanted to test him. He says, you know, he's been in the palace for a long time and wants to see how he does in business. He says, here's a hundred grand. Take this hundred grand and go out and do business. If you go and you're able to, you know, make money from it, right? You go and you come back with 200 grand, 500 grand, or whichever it is, then I know you're, you're gonna, you're, you're good in business. You're gonna be able to, you know, we have, we have, uh, only little to work on. But if you come and you lose everything, then I know we have a lot to work on. 
So the prince says, no problem. He takes a bag full of money. He says, no problem, pops. He goes out to the he goes out to the to the, to the market and he starts thinking about what's a good investment. He goes from place to place looking at what he's going to do, and then he sees a jewelry store in the distance. So you know, jewelry jewelry is always a good investment. So he goes into this jewelry store and he sees uh, he's looking around, nothing catches his eye. Then he sees like something in a you know glass you know behind bars in the back, a huge diamond, and he tells uh, the store owner, he's like he's like, what's that? He said, that looks amazing. I want that. So the, the jewelry store, you know, salesman, be like, oh, this, uh, you know, this, this is a, uh, there's a one of a kind stone. No one ever seen it before. And the, there's only one, there's only one of them in the entire world. It's huge. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Everything is excellent. So he shows it to the prince. The prince starts looking at it. This is amazing. He says, how much is this uh, stone? So this, uh, you know, the guy said, listen, you're the prince. You're the son. I'll give you a good deal. A hundred grand. The prince says, awesome. That's exactly what I have in my pocket. He takes out his money. And the second he's about to pay the money, there's a little tap on his shoulder. And he turns around, and there's an old man there. And the old man, you know, before he's making the transaction, the old man says, hey, listen, he says, um, before you buy this, do you know anything about diamonds? Anything about the jewelry business? So he's like, to be honest, no, but look at it. It's nice, big stone, clean. What is there to know? He says, listen, before you buy it, maybe it'd be a good idea to take it to a specialist to see if it's, you know, what's its value. So the prince thought about it for a second. He says, you know what? That's a, that's a good point. He says, do you by any chance know anybody who's a specialist? So uh, this old man says, I just happen to know somebody who's, uh, you know, very knowledgeable on this. So the prince says, excellent, take me to him. The old man says, just one uh, problem is uh, he's sitting in prison. So the prince says, no problem, we'll go and, you know, he'll, uh, oh, I'll be able to get in and out without a problem. So he goes into the king's uh, prison and he shows him this diamond. And this guy looks at this diamond from behind uh, the bars, looks at it from the distance even. The guy says, don't buy it, he tells the prince. So the prince says, oh, you didn't even touch it. What do you mean? How are you supposed to? He says, it's a fake diamond. So the prince, the prince looks at the old man. Like, Come on, what do you tell you? This guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. While he's saying this, the guy reaches over to, through the, through the, and tips the diamond. The diamond falls on, on the floor and breaks into a thousand pieces. So the king, the, the prince is like, what are you crazy now? I have to buy this. What am I supposed to do with all these tiny pieces? And the guy behind the cell says, obviously you don't understand. He says, a diamond wouldn't have broken if I would have put it on the floor. This is made out of glass. This is not a diamond. You're going to get gypped. He says, take this all. He, pack, he picks it up for him and puts it back in his little bag. He says, bring it back to, back to the person. It's a fake diamond. It's not a real diamond. So the prince is like, wow, what, you saved me. He says, I almost lost a hundred grand. So he goes and he brings it back to the store owner. He brings it back to the store owner and he says, he says, you know, he says, how dare you? How dare you sell me something that's almost fake? And the guy's like, oh, you know, I, I, you know, stumbling over his words. The prince says, he threw the bag in his face with all the things. He says, you're lucky. Here's the, here's your garbage. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna press any charges against you. And he walks, leaves the store. So he leaves the store and now he's thinking, he's like, listen, I, I still gotta make some money. What am I gonna do now? So he's going through town and he sees, um, in the other town of town is somebody selling racehorses. Right? Racehorses can make good money. So he says, you know what? Let's look, see if there's any good racehorses. He looks at all the racehorses. Some are better than others. Something, you know, nothing special. And then he sees this one magnificent beast, you know, standing tall, you know, muscles bulging out of every, uh, corner of its body. And he starts inspecting it, you know, walking around and he's, you know, this is amazing. I've never seen such a strong horse before in my life. And, uh, he goes to, you know, the owner of the, of the seller, the, the seller, he's looking at him, he sees, you know, he's got a very well-to-do client. So he goes to him and says, oh, this horse, the best horse, you're never going to lose a race with this horse. So, um, he says, you know, this is, it's amazing. He says, how much for this horse? So he says, for you, a hundred grand, right? Says Wado, after the Shmaya today, everything God sent me a hundred grand. He takes out his money from his thing. He's about to pay it. He gets another old tap from the from the back. He's the old man again there. The old man. So the old man goes to him and says, "Listen, do you know anything about uh, horses?" So he says, "What is there to know? This guy's strong. He can run. He can do everything. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna win me some races. I'll make a lot of money." He says, "Listen, maybe take it to somebody who knows about horses just to make sure." So the prince thinks about it for a second. And says, "You know what? You were right last time." He says, "All right." He says, "You by any chance happen to know anybody that's uh, you know?" Well-to-do and uh, knowledgeable in the, in the, the horse industry. 
So the old man says, I do. I just so happen to. But he happens to be in prison. And it happens to be the same person as in knowledge and about diamonds. So he says, the guy is knowledgeable about diamonds and about horses. So the old man says, what can I do? He's a very smart man. So he says, fine, let's take it to him. They bring the horse to him. They let this guy out of uh, the prison to inspect the, the horse. He walks around the horse. He says, wow, he's never seen so much such strong muscles. He's like, he's shaking his head. He's like, this is amazing. Then he goes in front of the horse and he looks it in the eyes. And he looks at the eyes. He stares it for about three, four seconds. And he says, don't buy this horse. And the prince is like, again with this guy. So what's wrong with this horse now? And, the, and this, this prisoner said, this horse is crazy. This horse is not going to be able to have a rider sit on him. If you put a rider on this horse, he's going to trample him. He's going to kill him. Be like, Come on, how? You saw that from his eyes. You're able to see a person. You know, you're able to diagnose a horse from looking at his eyes. So the prisoner says, listen, you don't believe me? Take somebody who's on death row, who's going to supposed to die, put him on the horse, see what happens. So the prince liked the idea. He called somebody who was going to, uh, who was on death row, and he bring, puts him on the horse. And he tells the, he tells the person, start riding. The horse starts riding, and its speed was unmatched. Sort of, you know, 50 yards, and you know, back in now, you have 0 to 60. So 0 to 50 in like 4 seconds, right? And he runs over there. And the second he hits like the 50 mark, the horse starts doing like uh, the, you know, the bulls. They, they try to, th- starts throwing the person off. And the prince is looking at it, it's crazy. The second that the guy falls off the horse, the horse starts kicking the, the guy. You know, a kick from a horse is, uh, you know, the mouth. After he kicks him, he goes, the horse finds him and starts biting him, pulverizing his bones. Uh, until he rips uh, the entire person apart. Fire limbs were everywhere. This horse was like a lion. So the guy's like, wow, this is crazy. This guy's a genius. How did he know that? So he goes back to this guy in the prison and he tells him, he says, listen, he says, uh, he says, tell me, you must be very smart. I want, he tells the, the, the prince tells this prisoner who told him, who, who saved him twice. He said, listen, you were right two times. I want you to tell me something that I don't know. So the, so the prisoner said, listen, you know, sir, I, I can't. You know, my dear prince, I, I would love to, but I can't. And uh, the, the prince kept on saying, no, 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 I want you to tell me. Please tell me. Tell me something I don't know. So the prisoner said, listen, if I tell you something you don't know, um, you know, you're not going to be happy. You know, I, you know, I really, I, I can't. So the prince said, you have a, a pass, a free pass. You know, you're not going to be held penalized for anything that you say. Tell me something I don't know. So the, the prince, the prisoner goes to him and he's to the prince and he says, listen, I'll tell you something, but you can't ask me any questions and you have to find it on yourself. So the prince says, fine. So he sits down. The prisoner looks at the prince and he says, you're adopted. And the prince starts laughing. He says, yeah, sure, I'm adopted. So what do you mean? Oh, yeah, sure, I'm adopted. He's like, all right, you know, great. All right, thank you very much. And he leaves. Right? He leaves, he starts walking, he starts walking, looking for the next business deal, but then it started bothering him. He says, why do you say I'm adopted? He says, am I adopted? He says, what? And now it started bothering him. You know? And what happens when something's in the person's mind? It builds up, builds up, builds up. He says, I can't. I gotta go home. I gotta figure out if, I gotta put this, uh, foot down and, you know, find out for sure if I'm adopted or not. He goes over, he goes, he comes back to the palace and, um, he goes straight to the mother. Right? Not hello, how are you? How's everything? Straight up to her and says, hey mom, was I adopted? She like drops her tea that she was holding and she turns white. She's like, what, 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 you know, what do you mean? That, you know, she couldn't even say a sentence out of her mouth. And she's like, just answer. You know, was I adopted? Yes or no? And she turns white as a, as a ghost and she says, just ask your, uh, ask your father. So this guy's heart starts beating. He's like, well, what's going on over here? How, how's this pilot? What do you mean? I'm, I'm adopted? And she says, listen, you got to go speak to your father. He goes to the father. Again, no hellos, nothing straight up. He says, hey, dad. Am I adopted? Tell me yes or no. This is, you know, flipping me out over here. I don't know what's going on over here. Am I adopted? So the, the father sits down, sits him down and says, he says, who told you that? How is it possible that anybody knows? He says, there are three people in the entire world that knew about this. Me, your mother, and a third person. And that person died a few years ago. So there's nobody alive that is able to know that. How did you figure it out? And he tells himself, you really are adopted. He says, one time we were at war with another country and we demolished that entire army. 
and we were going through the you know the you know the the belongings and we saw a little baby in you know hanging over there and the, both parents were killed so you know your mother and I you know he says we couldn't have any children so we decided to take you and raise you as our own and we that person that died that was with us that's no longer alive we promised that he would never say he would never say anything and I know he would never tell anybody I said, there's no way that somebody is able to know about this. How do you find out? Who told you this? You have to show me this person. So he says, it happens to me. There's this person in, the, in prison. This person in prison. So he says, bring him over here. I have to figure out how he, how he figured it out. They bring in this prisoner, and they set the prisoner in front of the king. And the, and the king tells, uh, tells him, he says, listen, he says, what you knew, I have no idea how you got this information. But I need you to tell me, and I, I grant you immunity, you're no problem. Tell me how it is that you figured it out. So he says, your honor, your majesty. He says, it's very simple. He says, your son, the prince, asked me for asked me for two different favors, right? Two times he asked me for a favor, and two times I gave him the, the correct uh, response and the correct advice. Not once did he ever say, "You're right, you're awesome. What could I do for you?" He never said thank you, and what he never had the gratitude to saying, "You know what? You did something for me. What could I do for you?" Right? Somebody who's of royal blood always has gratitude. He says he didn't have gratitude. I know he was not of royal blood. Us as Jews, we're of royal blood. It is our, not an, a, it's, it's an obligation for everybody to be grateful to God. You have to be grateful to God. You have to be grateful to everybody, right? Someone does you a favor, be, be thankful, right? Say thank you. A person has five fingers on their hand. Every day should not go by without saying to God in your own words, thank you for five things. Thank you for the ear. Thank you for the car. Thank you for the air conditioning. Thank you for the water. Basic stuff. Say thank you. Say thank you. It's going to do so much for you. I'll give you an example. You have somebody who goes, uh, you have two kids. One kid is always like, uh, it starts off with, please, dad, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And then it changes to, I want this. 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 Right? And it always constantly nagging. Oh, can't, how come I don't have this? How come I don't have this yet? Spoiled kid. Then you have another kid. Same family, same whatever, same situation. And he says, uh, you know, you know, dad, thanks so much for the present that you gave me last night. The lollipop was amazing. All saying grateful for every little thing that you say. Always saying thank you. Which of those two kids do you want to give more? The one who always says thank you. The one who always is grateful for what you want. It's like, this is awesome. I'll give you an example also. The one time, uh, you know, there's certain people that you give charity to, right? They're collecting charity. They give charity to do. So you look at it. It'd be like, uh, look inside your wallet. Maybe you could switch this for a 10. You know? What really people want to do is want to slip that five or whatever you one that you gave and put it back and say, have a good day. Right? Really, it's not, it's not good. I, I always, if somebody... If you gave the person money, that's it. It's done. You gave it to the person. You should never take anything back, right? But let's say you have the other the other end of the of the side. You have somebody that says, you know, you give them a dollar, and they sit over there and they start blessing you from names of, you know, God and angels and this. Like God should give you panasa. God should give you azivu. God should give you children. Five minutes, you're getting blessings, and you're like, amen, 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 amen. At the end, after you walk away, they're like, wow, this guy's an amazing person. I wish I gave him two dollars or five dollars or ten dollars. You always want to give somebody who's grateful. You want to do more too. Right? You want God to give you more? Be grateful to God. Be great. Say thank you. Everybody comes to God with a list, shopping list. God, here's what I want. Right? I need a, a new car, a new apartment, a new wife. Oh, scratch it all. You know, I knew, I knew this, I knew that. Everybody has a list of all these new things. God forbid, everybody should know that their wife, should, there's a reason why they got married to them. So, but the idea is, is that everybody comes with a shopping list to God. When was the last time that you said, God, thank you for this, thank you for this, and thank you for that? Right? You should go and say, be grateful. It's an obligation that a person has to be grateful. The more grateful you are, the happier that you will be. Okay, we have a few more minutes. We're going to have to do this in two different classes. Well, let's, let's, uh, the, um, the idea, the, besides, besides, uh, um, that we'll do, we'll do one more on how to become happy and then we'll have to continue, uh, next week on part two on, um, you know, different steps on how to reach happiness. So now, there is, uh, the more kindness that a person does, the, the happier that they will be. 
and they made a study. The study was, um, uh, this was a, also a study done by Positive Psychology, by Martin, uh, Martin Seligman. And the study was as follows. The study was, they had three, three, um, three sections of people. Or they had a group of people, they split up to three sections. All of them were, um, were on the, they were like depressed or sick or some sort of, you know, issues. One of them, they just gave medications. No social interactions at all. The second group, they gave medications and they gave social interactions, which means is, is that they went and they said, oh, how are you doing? How's everything? And they, you know, they interacted. The third group, they would help the people, which means is they, gave, they, they had the medications or, or I don't even know if the third group even got the medications, but they, they were the ones that helped other people who said, okay, listen, you're the one, let's say you're depressed. I want you to go to the hospital and give out all these free meals to whatever, to, to, you know, give something out, be, you know, do act of kindness. And then afterwards, they rated their, their level of, of happiness and success and health also they realized that the level of success was three, two, and one, which means is the person that did kindness to anybody else, their success was much greater than everybody else. The people that were socially interactive with other people, they were receiving it, they were happier than people that had no social interactions. Which means is, is that you want to be happier, the more you give, the happier you will be. That's why relationships, relationships, if you get into, you know, you're married, right? The problem is that people get into marriage realizing all their, you know, rights. I have a right to hot food. I have a right to, you know, all these different things that you expect. The right to the house to be clean. You know, that you should, you know, that the wife will be all made up when you come home. Everything will be perfect. This is my rights. And I, in turn, I'm going to, you know, provide. Right? People look at that way in marriage, not a successful marriage. Marriage should be looking at obligations, not about rights. You have an obligation. Forget about your right. Your obligation is to be a supportive husband. To support to uh, be financially, emotionally, and spiritually, everything supportive, right? You have your own obligations. If you look at your own obligations, you'll have a happier marriage, which means is all you care about is giving to the other person, right? What is the strongest love relationship in known to man? It's, is it, you know, siblings, best friends, uh, mother, to, uh, mother to child, child to mother, father to child, you know, parent to sibling? What, what is it? The, most, the most strongest love that you have is for a, a parent to their child, children. Why is that? Why is it a parent loves his child more than loves anything else? Right? A known fact. Anybody who's a parent here, I think, could uh, vouch for that. Right? Am I right? Okay. So now, if you realize your kid, all you do is you give to the kid. You don't expect anything in return. At least not in the first, you know, 20 and nowadays, 50 years, you know. But, uh, but the problem is, is, is the most strongest love that you have is when you give. Right? And the answer is you want to have a, big, a strong relationship with your wife, you want to have a strong relationship with whatever you give. The more you give, the more active chesed that you do, the more kindness that you'll do, the happier you will be. You're really giving him money, but you're making yourself happier. Right? Which is very interesting that um, they have, uh, um, you know, the Super Bowl. The, if you ever wonder, the, the Super Bowl, I, I never understood this, but the average price for a ticket for the Super Bowl, you know how much it costs? The average price is $4,841. The average price. The lowest one, is $3,300, right? And if you want a good seat, now I'm not talking about a, a what's it called, a box suite, uh, uh, whatever it's called, um, a regular good seat, twenty-five grand, $25,000 to sit in a cold, you know, thing. So now the, there is, uh, there's also, if you want to get, if you want to get the, bo- you know, the, the room, right? So basically you're a living room in the stadium with a bunch of, uh, the, how much does that cost for the super, um, other show, no problem, thank you for coming. So how, how much, how much does that cost? Three hundred and fifty grand. Three hundred and fifty grand for for the what is it called? The box suite, something like that. Whatever it is, three three hundred fifty grand. Now, if you ask somebody, let's say the average price four grand, right? You're sitting there four grand. You're not up the front, right? 
You have the back, back, back where you need binoculars and then two level of binoculars to see something that's going on over there. Right? And you ask the person, why do you do that? You fly out, you pay $1,000 for your plane ticket to get out to the place, to sit in the cold, in the snow, and the rain, to scream with a bunch of people that you don't know. If you want to go to the bathroom, you need a hazmat suit because everything there is, you know, people there, you know, while they're walking there, you're, you know, beer, everything smells like beer. Everything is disgusting. You're, you're sitting there cramped. For $4,000, you can buy the most advanced television. Well, I don't know how much it is, right? You get the curved flat, whatever it is, uh, 4K, 20, whatever it is they're up to now, right? Screen, and you can sit at your home, 100 inch, right? And you can enjoy yourself much more. And you can eat what you want. You can drink the beer that you like. And you can, you know, go to the bathroom without having to, you know, worry about getting contaminated so and getting sick and diseased. Why do people do it? Why do people do it? And it gets booked. It's booked. It's solid booked. Now, why is it? And the answer is because people really want to be a part of something. You want to be a part of something, right? That's what a relationship is. A relationship is you want to be a part of something. That's why if you ever realize that you have a, you, you know, not Chas Shalom, anybody here, but non-Jews, they go to a non-Jewish concert, right? If they take off, uh, you know, let's say the, you know, the person that's singing, whatever it is, if they take off, uh, you know, any clothes and they throw it to, right? So if it's a, if it's a woman who's doing performing the concert, she does not really have any clothes left to take off. But if let's say there's a guy, right, he has a t-shirt, right? He just, he's a guitarist or whatever, the lead singer. He takes off a t-shirt and he throws it to the crowd. Everyone goes crazy grabbing all that sweat, right? <sighs> and they go, oh, they take this, they cherish this, and they give this to, the, to the, their children and be like, I was in your concert a hundred years ago. And I, you know, and this game, this. But what is, imagine you're in the gym. Somebody's sweating over there, takes off his shirt and throws it in your face, right? You want to sue it before you punch him and, and you know, you want to sue that person. What, what are you doing throwing your sweaty thing over here? Why is it that people go crazy for all, because they want to be a part of something. I'm a fan. You know, my team, my, oh yeah, this is my favorite, this is my favorite show, my show, my team, all this, you're a part of something. You want to part, why do you want to be a part of something? Because in order, you want to give. The, the, the secret is you always want to be able to give. You always want to be give. You scream. Why do you scream with everybody? Because you're giving to the team. As if your team is going to win because you're wearing your lucky socks. Right? Or your, your underwear that you never change. Right? People always want to be a part of something. You want to be a part of something? The secret is to give. To give, you will be happier. Give staka. Give, you know, the best staka that you can give is help someone spiritually. Send them a lecture to, 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 to learn Send them something to do. Their, the happiness and the reward is endless. We will, uh, Bizat Hashem continue next week. We'll, uh, do the, um, a, a, a few more because it's getting late. Zagabu, any questions? Nope. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.